Well, good morning. We are continuing our series in What is Church? This is part four. So we started framing church as part of what? Discipleship. Church, what is church? It is discipleship. And I hope that's starting to work its way into your, uh, into your system, so to speak. And I hope that by the end of this morning, you'll understand fully why it is about discipleship. But then we ask this question, right? Well, what is the foundation of the church? And we started off that with part one. What is the, what is the foundation of church? It is Jesus, right? Jesus is the foundation of our church. He is our rock. He is the cornerstone. He is upon the rock in which we stand. Without Jesus, there is no church. And then we spent the last two weeks taking a look at, well, what are the essential functions of the church? Okay, so if Jesus is the cornerstone, he is the solid rock upon which we stand, well, then what are we supposed to do? What are the essential functions of the church? Does anybody remember one of the functions? What? Fellowship, right? Fellowship, loving one another in fellowship is one. Teaching, breaking of the bread, and prayer. So it is teaching, it is fellowship, Breaking of the bread, which we would say is the Lord's Supper, and prayer. These are the essential functions of the church. And the early church, we took a look at this in Acts, the early church just didn't kind of casually do this. They devoted themselves unwaveringly, unswervingly, steadfast in all of those things. Okay, so those are the two questions. What's the foundation of the church? What are the essential functions of the church? And now we get into this question. What is the mission of the church? Or put it another way, is there a particular driving force, a driving purpose for the church? What energizes us as a body of believers? You see, organizations, whether they are churches, whether they are nonprofits, whether they are businesses, if they don't have a driving purpose, a driving focus, a mission, they simply falter and eventually peter out and die. That's what happens. I was in business a long time. I worked in corporate America. And, you know, we would have to put together mission statements, not just for the company, but for our team. And they were tedious affairs. And they became gobbledygook. If anybody's worked in corporate America and you've had to do mission statements, you know this. As a matter of fact, online, there's a mission statement generator for businesses. So I randomly put some stuff in. Here's what I came up with. It is our job to appropriately leverage existing customer-directed deliverables so that we can deliver the kind of results on the bottom line that our investors expect and deserve. (laughs) Right? What does that mean? Nothing, does it? It's just gobbledygook. And it doesn't drive anybody forward. But, you know, churches have the same problem in many regards. Uh, Here's an example of a mission statement from a particular church. I want to see if you can understand it. We're not about having it all together or even pretending we do. We're just a family trying to grow together toward a God who knows us and can help us put all the pieces of this sometimes bizarre world into perspective. 
We may not have all the answers, but we know someone who does. In fact, he not only knows the answers, he made up the questions. Hmm. I kind of think, well, where's Jesus in that? You know, where's the foundation? So now let's compare that to what Jesus said. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read it again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission that Jesus gave the church. It comes at the very end of Matthew. So we're going to go through it and break it down here. You have your sermon notes. You can follow with the sermon notes if you so desire. So let's go ahead and talk about why we have a mission. Here's the context. After Jesus had been resurrected, he told the disciples several times to meet him in Galilee for one last important meeting. So they gathered at Galilee with Jesus there, and while they worshipped him, some still doubted. Let's linger on that for a moment. Let's linger on that for just a moment. Some still doubted. Think about that. You've been with Jesus for three years. You've been traveling with him. You've seen the miracles. He has healed the lame. He has given sight to the blind. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed the thousands several times over. He walked on water. He calmed the storms. He not only was crucified, died, he was dead, dead. On the third day, he rose again. And then he appeared to the disciples and he ate with them, proving he was not this hallucination, but that he actually risen from the dead. And after, after all of that, they kind of go, eh. eh, kind of still on the fence about all this stuff. I mean, isn't that amazing? This would go to show that no amount of evidence is really sufficient for faith. It is actually through the power of the Holy Spirit who brings you to the fullness of faith. So, against all of their doubt, this is what Jesus said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority. That's a word where we at least know we don't really use it a whole lot or define it a whole lot. I mean, we're familiar with uh, talking about it with law enforcement, the authorities, or government, or a judge, or something like that. So we're familiar with authority that way. But what actually is authority? Def dictionary definition. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Thus, when we think about law enforcement officers, right? or judges, or anybody else, they have the power to be able to enforce certain laws, right? But the thing is, they have limited power. We know that by our Constitution and everything else. We, they have limited power to be able to do things. The problem in, in our society, and I, you know, when I was growing up, 
the the phrase was question authority, right? I think I even had a button. I admit it. I think I even a little had a had a button, and it was. Well, we got to question all authority. And right now, certainly in our culture today, it is always questioning authority. We always say no one has absolute authority. It's all limited authority. And as a matter of fact, they have too much authority. Yeah, I mean, right? This is the culture of our day. This is what's going on right now. Yet, Jesus said this. He said, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he is making a statement here by saying all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Is there any place where he doesn't have authority? There's no place. He has authority over everything. And this has implications for us understanding the text as well. Now, some people will say, well... The authority has been given to him, so they would say, there's God the Father, but Jesus, God the Son, is not quite on the same level as authority. This is a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Jesus willingly gave up his glory for a time to be with us, so that he might fulfill what was necessary for our salvation. So he lowered himself for a little bit. But if you ever have doubt that Jesus has full authority, just go to John chapter 1. So, highlight this, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, you know this one, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Highlight that one. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made. He had full authority. Go to Colossians 1, starting 15, uh, actually 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all. All things hold together. Do you understand the scope? Starting to get a glimmer of the authority that Jesus has? It's not just a little authority. It is all authority in heaven and on earth. And I want us to grapple with that. I want you to grapple with understanding the authority that Jesus has. Because, quite frankly, we don't. By our old nature, we don't want to have all authority. Our old nature says we don't want Jesus to have full authority over me. Over other people, sure, but me? I don't know if I want him to have full authority over me. I want to grab some part of my life and keep it because I want to say I have authority with my life. See, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus has full authority over your life. Are there areas in your life where you are trying to avoid the authority of Jesus? See, unless you start to grapple with that, this next part becomes something that just gets preached every once in a while. 
So let's take a moment in prayer before we go to the next part. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Through you, all creation came into being and you uphold all creation. Through our own heart and through our own understanding, we can't comprehend the breadth and depth and love that you have for us. We can't comprehend the fullness of who you are. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, you turn our hearts to you. You take away any doubt and any fear that we might be holding onto. Replace our heart with yours. Let us be enlivened by you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, with the full authority, this is what Jesus said. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So now we are going to get in what is our mission. Now, a lot of people have sliced and diced that particular verse or verses in many different ways, getting, giving different emphasis on those verses. So there are particular words that seem to pop out here. It is go, so a lot of people will emphasize go, therefore, and then they will also circle nations. So that means i got to be a missionary to go to other nations. That's what Jesus is commanding, and so that's what they take. Other people say, make disciples of all nations. Other people say, baptizing. So the focus, they would say the command that Jesus gave is to make sure we are baptizing people. So you will see churches that emphasize baptism uh, almost over anything else. And then you also have the word teaching. Teaching them to be disciples. So what is it? What is the command that Jesus gave us? And here, this is where grammar comes in and it is very important. The actual command that Jesus gave is to make disciples. When you took, take a look at the grammar, that is the imperative, that is the command that Jesus gave, and all those other words, such as go, therefore, all nations, baptizing, teaching, those are all supporting the command of making disciples. So if we were going to paraphrase it, it is in Jesus' full authority. He commands us to make disciples. And thus the mission or the driving force of the church is to make disciples. I really have to emphasize this again and again and again. This will be a common theme about making disciples. Because when people hear this, they automatically think evangelism. Oh, now i got to go door to door. Right? i got to stand out there. I've got to hand out things. Well, listen. Evangelism is definitely part. It's definitely part of making disciples because unless somebody is converted, unless somebody is born again, unless somebody is alive in Christ Jesus, they aren't a disciple. It doesn't matter if they say they're spiritual or not. They're not a disciple unless they have been born again, unless... They hear the gospel news. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who believes that Jesus is who he says he is, the divine Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, who died for us. 
A disciple is also convinced and trusts that Jesus' teachings and all of the teachings were true and right and should be obeyed. A disciple is one who diligently studies at the feet of his master. And that would be Jesus, studying at his feet, learning from him. Disciples are lifelong students called to learn from Jesus, to be conformed into his image, and to bear witness to others about his saving work on the cross. This is disciples, discipleship. Is evangelism part of that? You bet. But the command isn't just to make converts. Jesus didn't say, go therefore and make converts of all nations. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus did not say, go therefore and make churchgoers out of all nations. Do you get that? We emphasize coming to this building, but that's not it either. He said, make disciples. That's the mission of the church. That's the driving force, or should be the driving force of any particular church. Jesus gave his full weight of authority to that statement. Do you believe it? So now with the mission clear, let's take a look at how we make disciples. How we make disciples is by baptizing and teaching. So Jesus gave two ways, right? First is baptism. Now my intent this morning is not to go into all of the theology regarding baptism. As a matter of fact, on the back table, on the resource table, there is a, uh, it's about an 18, 19 page document regarding baptism. Answers a lot of the questions you would probably have regarding baptism. I wrote it. Uh, so try to do it in a Q&A format. I would encourage you to take a look at it. But the Bible speaks about baptism as something more than a mere rite, something more than we just go through as this, um, as, as a rite. I can't think of another word for it right now. It's not just symbolic. That's what I want to say. It's not just symbolic. Here is how baptism is talked about in the Bible. It is about forgiveness of sins. So Scripture records baptism being tied together intimately with forgiveness of sins. It is about being born again. Read John 3 regarding Jesus and Nicodemus. Read that carefully. It is about being regenerated and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Regenerated means being brought to life. You who were dead in your sins are now alive in Christ. That only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is associated with baptism. Baptism also says it is a washing away of sin, a being a dead to sin and alive to Christ. It is also regards sanctification, which is the process of being made holy. That's a little bit more than symbolic, isn't it? There's a lot more to it than that. So it has this depth to it for us. Part of being a disciple, becoming into the family of, of God, Jesus said, is to be baptized. And when you are baptized, you are consecrated by the Holy Spirit. During communion, we're going to sing the song, Take My Life and Let It Be. Love that song. 
I'm going to just read a couple of the verses here. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Isn't that a beautiful song? I just, I I love that song. At the same time, I want you to be aware there's a potential danger in that song. It's twofold. One is that you just kind of sing it and just feel good, right? Because I do. I feel good when I sing that song. But if you actually listen to those words and take those words to heart, it is a risky song because you're saying, take all of me. Take my life, everything. Jesus, you have full authority over me. Everything I have is yours. So how do we know? How do we know that we are being used by Jesus? That our life is his and his alone? Well, we do that by observing everything that he taught them. See, you want to know how to be a disciple? Read the scripture and see everything that Jesus taught the disciples. A lot of people want to say, well, there's only two things to really be concerned about is love God and love your neighbor. Yes, Jesus said that. Unfortunately, people use that as such a broad brush that there's a lot of sin they allow under that. And it just becomes this vague sort of, love one another thing. But if you take a look at Scripture, one person did it. He just, just the Gospels, just the Gospels, he found at least 50 commands that Jesus gave. 50. I'm only going to show part of them. So it is repent. How's that? Jesus said, here's my command, repent. How many really love that one? You know, yes, that's my first command, repent. Love that one. No, no, we want to skip that one too. We want to get to the nice ones. Follow me. He also said, you know, pick up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Rejoice. Let your light shine. Honor God's law. Be reconciled. Do not lust. Keep your word. Go the second mile. How about this one? How many really take on this one? Love your enemies. Yes, I got that one down. That's the one that's top of my list. Jesus commanded that. He also said, lay up your treasures, seek God's kingdom, judge not, do not cast pearls before swine, ask, seek, knock, do unto others, choose the narrow way. How many have that one as their first command? You know what? My life is a narrow life. Well, doesn't that, that doesn't sound right, does it? That's what Jesus commanded. Uh, beware of false prophets, pray for labors. I mean, there's more and more and more and more. Right? This is everything that Jesus taught, but that's just the Gospels. If you actually, but we don't think the Gospels are only Jesus' words. It's not just the red letters in the Bibles that you have. It is the fullness of Scripture. So when we take a look at the Bible, right? The New Testament, we take a look at all of that as being God's Word. Somebody uh, counted them up. I, don't, I, I haven't verified this. But they said there were 684 commands in the New Testament. It's a lot, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. 
This is not about trying to burden yourself evermore. It's not like the Pharisees who said, command after command after command, command, and a burden. Here's the thing. Why would we ever follow the commands and teachings of Jesus? Why would you do it? I would hope it's because you love him. I would hope that you are compelled by the love of Christ. It is the love of Jesus that compels us to learn and obey. See, if you're kind of just disregarding the New Testament, the commands of God's word, my question to you is not, why aren't you following all those commands? My question to you is, how much do you love Jesus? Are you compelled by his love? And that's the question. Are you compelled by his love? You see, this whole thing of discipleship, discipleship isn't just a program that people go through. Discipleship isn't just a class that you take or just coming to worship. And all of those are good and appropriate things. You should come to worship. You should take classes. You should enrich yourself. But it's not this thing that you go through. The commitment of discipleship is living our lives so that we grow into the image of Christ Jesus. So that we mature into him because, because, brothers and sisters, we love him. And he first loved us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. Paul, Paul's whole work, even though he was a great missionary, even though he what we would call planted churches, even though many people came to faith, his goal wasn't about just converts. His goal was to bring people into maturity of Christ Jesus. In verse 28 from our reading from Colossians, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He was a disciple maker. So, we've talked about why we have a mission, what the mission is, how we make disciples, where. So when you take a look at the language, we always hear, go therefore, and then we skip to other nations, right? Go therefore to other nations, so thus to actually be a, uh, to make disciples, you have to get your visa in order, your passport, and you have to go to whatever country and do that. And that's been the emphasis a lot. And by the way, did you know that other countries now send missionaries to America? They do, because we have become more and more a godless nation. So they send missionaries here. That's uh, very sad, isn't it? But when you take a look at the language, the language is much more as you go on your way, make disciples. So what does that mean? Well, it means as you go to the grocery store, make disciples. Share the good news. Encourage one another. As you talk with your neighbor next door, as you talk with your friends, as you are out and about in the world, see, when you leave that door, 
when you go out that door this morning, I want everyone to think, you've just gone into the mission field. There was a pastor in this town who actually did a study, paid for a study, regarding kind of the religious temperament of this particular area. And religious interest on a scale of 1 to 10, zero. In this town, it was statistically zero. I'm going to talk to everybody I can. I'm going to talk to everybody I can. Sharing the good news. Why? Because I love Jesus. Why? Because he commanded it. So let's put this together here. Why do we have a mission? We have a mission because of Jesus and his full authority. The mission is to make disciples. It's command. It's very straightforward. We want people to, one, be alive in Christ and then grow deep in Christ. To know Jesus and to grow in faith in him. And not just for a moment, not just for like this week, but lifelong to the very last breath. We want people to run the race with us to the very end. That's the mission. And how do we do this? Well, we do it by sharing the good news and then baptizing them into the body of Christ. And then we teach. Now, parents, you're disciple makers, whether you know it or not. The first role of parents is to disciple your child. It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean you're wise beyond all measure. It simply means that's your role, to help your children grow in the faith. And by the way, when, when does parenthood ever end? It doesn't, does it? Right? It's to your last breath. You are helping your son, your daughter, grow in their faith. All right? And then how are, where are we to do this? As we go. Mission field's here, and it really is. So next week we're going to talk about who. Who are we in relationship to all of this? What's our role in all of this? I don't want to start in on that this week, but today I do want to leave you just with one question. And the question has to be this one. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? That's what church is. Church is about discipleship. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for the great sacrifice he gave for us. Lord Jesus, we pray to you that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, that you would discipline us as necessary and encourage us. We ask that through the Holy Spirit, We are compelled by love. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.